Hello and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. Join pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, as he continues the study through the Old Testament book of Judges. This is the conclusion of a three-part study of Judges, Chapter 2. You have a few moments, so why don't you grab your Bibles and follow along. Please turn to Judges, Chapter 2. Verse 13, there's two different pagan gods that are mentioned here that are still applicable to our lives today. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal. This is crazy. I mean, the pagan god Baal, back in those days, initially started out as the rain god or the god of weather. In an agrarian culture where you're growing crops and products and stuff, you're dependent, you're completely dependent upon the Lord for rainfall. They didn't have wells that could pump water up and, and irrigation, all that kind of stuff we've got now. They were completely dependent on the weather. And so they began to worship the god Baal, who was the god of thunder, the god of lightning, the god of rain, the god of storms. But because they didn't understand that stuff, he eventually became the god of intellect. If they were confused about a subject or they didn't know what to do, they lacked understanding, then Baal, quote-unquote, had the answers for them. And so he became the god of intellect. You know, he gave the explanation for all the things they didn't understand. Then the, the goddess, if you will, the pagan goddess Ashtaroth, and she's known in different places by different names. In Babylon, uh, she was the goddess Ishtar. In the Grecian culture, she was known as Artemis or Diana. In pagan Rome, she was known as Easter. I think where we get our Easter holiday. It's a paganized blend of Christianity and paganism. Easter or Ashtaroth, the goddess of fertility, uh, whose sign or symbols were the rabbit and the egg. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, I grew up as a Roman Catholic doing all that stuff, and every Easter, I look forward to Easter. I look forward to the Easter egg hunt and all that kind of stuff. But I remember one day sitting back thinking, what do eggs and rabbits have in common? <laughs> you know, I'm not like Farmer John or anything like that, but I figured out that rabbits don't lay eggs. It's like, uh... You know how it is when you're a kid, you think about it for like three-tenths of a second. Well, that's weird, you can keep going. <laughs> the candy's good or whatever. But there's a book on our website, it's on a PDF, and I think we've got copies in our library. It's called Two Babylons by Hislop, a guy named Hislop. And he wrote this book that details the blending of paganism and Christianity during the time of Constantine, the early parts of the Roman Catholic Church. And... I hate to wreck your Easter. I don't really mind wrecking your Easter, but I hate to wreck your Easter because Easter, if you want to, it's not Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day that our Lord Jesus rose from the grave. It has nothing to do with rabbits and eggs and this pagan goddess. But anyway, that book will open your eyes if you want to check it out. A lot of interesting things there. Ashtaroth or Ishtarte or Artemis or Diana is still worshipped to this day. Ashtaroth is the motivation behind Playboy magazine. Ashtaroth is the motivation behind Victoria's Secret. Ashtaroth is the motivation behind most of the secular movies that you'll see today. Can you watch a movie that doesn't have a sex scene in it, or a love scene, or a bedroom scene, or some kind of innuendo about that? Can you listen to a secular song? I remember I, I grew up loving oldies. And when I became a Christian, 
I was kind of in that middle place of transitioning, if you will, and kind of getting into Christian music, worship music. And then I discovered the differences between worship and secular music. Anyway, as I was in this process, I began to listen to some of the songs. God was giving me discernment. I began to view every part of my life, including the music I listened to, through the lens of God's word. And when I did that, it was really interesting because a lot of the oldies, the songs that I really thought were pretty innocent, the Beach Boys, that kind of stuff. I mean, I knew the Beatles were evil, but the Beach Boys, I thought they were kind of sanctified. As I began to listen to the lyrics of some of the songs, I was amazed at how many of them were geared towards romance, geared towards the guy chasing the girl or the girl chasing the guy or being jealous and back and all this kind of stuff. And what it boiled down to, it was the goddess of fertility. And you know, I won't take it any farther. You can figure it out. Madison Avenue knows what sells a product. If it's got sex appeal, it'll sell. What does a beautiful girl holding a can of shaving cream have to do with shaving for a guy? Nothing. (laughs) It's just that, wow, she's pretty. I'll buy that. And we're right back to the marketing techniques that take advantage of Ashtaroth, the goddess of fertility. Every college campus pays homage to the god Baal. The god of intellect is worshipped by every man who flaunts their intellect and thinks themselves too wise or too sophisticated to bend their knee to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to bend their knee to the true and the living God. And we are a nation of educated idiots. And I can tell you that from personal experience. I can't tell you how many people I arrested, that get them in the car, get them in handcuffs, and they're just yak, 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 yak. And they go, you're an ignorant fool, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, wow, okay. And I said, are you an educated man? Yeah, I've got a master's and da, da, da. Really? Man, I wish I would have graduated high school. You know, I'd tease them and stuff. Then they go, you're an idiot. So how, how come How come you're educated wearing handcuffs and I'm an idiot driving a car? Hmm. And I talked to homeless people up in, in Oregon on a ministry thing. This guy's been living in the woods and living under a bridge, and, and he's got a master's degree. And he's the smartest idiot I've ever seen, the most educated fool. And we're a nation of idiots. Because when you don't have a biblical perspective, what perspective do you have? And and the world is full of all kinds of perspectives. But the the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And that's what's taking place as they worship these different gods. It's interesting. It may start out as worship, but it ends up in bondage. It ends up in slavery. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, verse 19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. So many people will start off worshiping Ashtoreth as an example, and they become so addicted to pornography, they become a slave to it. So many people are so out to to fulfill parts of their lives with these different things, and they end up being a slave. And God's word says, don't be brought into bondage by these things. And that's what's happening to the nation of Israel. They're serving these gods, and they're going to be slaves to these gods. Then in verse 14 it says, And then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said. And the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That's not a good place to be. I mean, I've read the Bible several times now, and if God is personally mad at you, you've provoked him to anger, you can't duck, you can't run. 
the earth will open up and swallow you. A meteor will come, a flaming meteor will come from outer space and hit you smack dab in the head. God, when he gets mad, things happen. And someone's going to get smoted. Being on the wrong side of that equation is the wrong place to be. If you don't fear God and love God, <laughs> you're on the wrong end of the equation because God will deal with that. Romans 8.31 tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's so true. If God is on your side, if God is for you, man, nothing can stop you. But if God is against you, who can be for you? And we read this, wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. Ooh, I hate that. I mean, I want God's favor. I need God's favor. You know, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of God and stands in the way of sinners or, or sits in the seat of the scornful. And it goes on, but it cuts around to verse 3 and it says, His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. When we are obedient to God's word, when we are yielded and submitted to him, God wants to bless us. But you ever have one of those days, one of those bad days where everything you touch breaks, where everything you touch just falls apart and you just wish you hadn't gotten out of bed? Imagine that for like the rest of your life. Imagine that for like extended periods of time. That's what's happening to the children of Israel. And the worst part, they were warned, middle of verse 15, as the Lord had said. God's word is described as a double-edged sword in Hebrews 4.12. It's alive, it's powerful, but it cuts both ways. And when God says in his word, this is going to be a blessing and it cuts this way, but he says if you're disobedient, the blade will come back the other way. And his word is true, whether it's for good or for evil. God's word is true. And They've gotten to that place where they've provoked God. They're in big trouble. And it says here, this is the understatement of the year, and they were greatly distressed. I bet. They were having a bad decade, a bad life, and it's like it's not going to get better until they're yielded to God. Then in verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. As we go through verses 16 through 19, we have kind of a prologue to the book, describing the cycle of, of disobedience. And we've talked about this last week. They start off walking with the Lord, then they begin to worship the false gods, then they're delivered into the hands of their enemies. They cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer, a judge, who turns them back to the Lord for while he lives anyway. And then as soon as that judge dies, then they start doing their own thing again, and they go back into captivity, and the whole cycle kind of... And verses 16 through 19 kind of describe that. Verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. It's almost like saying, well, in spite of all that, it's a stark contrast to me. In spite of all that, God raises up a judge, a deliverer. My first question is, why would God do that? I mean, they're being bad, they're going to get spanked. Why would God suddenly just raise up a deliverer? And the answer I give you is because God loves them. Because God loves us. Because God doesn't want to see them destroyed. He wants them to have that second chance. And it's all part of God's loving nature. It's part of who he is. It's how he's wired to be. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's interesting. You think, well, but you know, God's being too nice. They've been obviously so bad. But he always gives us a chance. Oftentimes people make the tragic catastrophic mistake of being engaged in sin and when God doesn't immediately come down and judge them or punish them or correct them or whatever you want to look at it, God's response isn't immediate. They somehow take that as affirmation from God that it's okay. 
they mistake the grace of God and the patience of God for the approval of God, which it's not. I mean, think back to what God told Abraham when he says, you know what, your family's going to end up in Egypt, and they're going to be there for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amalekites is not yet full. In other words, the Amalekites and the Amorites and all the other kites we've been talking about, there's a point in time when God says enough's enough, but he gives them, as we read, 400 years to change their ways, 400 years to repent of their sin and to do something different. But they didn't, obviously, and so they end up being judged through the book of Joshua and, and all that stuff. But here are the children of Israel. God says, nevertheless, he's giving them another chance to repent, another chance to turn away from their sin. God is being merciful, and God is being gracious to them, and it's an awesome thing. So the Lord raises up judges. What's a judge? A judge is a lawgiver, one who executes judgment, who governs and delivers them and saves them. Moses was a deliverer. Moses, in a sense, was a judge because he was a lawgiver and he delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage. And so, God, verse 16, God raises up judges. But verse 17, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And so they wouldn't listen to the judges that God raised up. And this is so much like later on when the nation is in a general state of apostasy and turning away from God, that God sends the prophets. And he sent the prophets to the kings, he sent the prophets to the people, to the priests, he sent them to the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. He says, basically, you're not doing it right, thus saith the Lord, if you don't turn around, if you don't change your ways, you're going to get whacked. And then God eventually brings in the Babylonians and the Assyrians and everybody else, and God judges the nation. But the same thing, they rejected the warning. They rejected the second chance. Like, okay, I know you're messing up, but if you change your ways now, you'll be okay. And they go, no, 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 spank me. <laughs> you know, smoke me again, smoke me again, I like it. And that's exactly what takes place. But he uses this strong term. He says, a whoring after other gods. I never quite got used to that term, even as a police officer. Most cops, when I was working in Long Beach, there was a lot of prostitutes. You know, I would call them 647Bs. I didn't like using that word. It's a hard word. It's communicating an emotional message, how God feels about what they are doing. And when you think about that, whoring after other gods, when you refer to someone as a whore, it's someone, usually a female, but it could be male or female, who commits either adultery or fornication or unfaithful in some way. And the word is being used to describe Israel. Israel is betrothed to God the Father, and now she is committing spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication by worshiping these other gods, and she's being unfaithful to her beloved. And so, you know, I don't know how it reads in the other versions, but the King James, man, sometimes it's just like smack. There it is. And it uses this hard word to describe a hard reality. And so the nation is being unfaithful to their beloved. Personally, I go right back to the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, the first few verses describes the first and second commandment. The first commandment in verse 2, I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. That doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else, does it? (laughs) No other gods. And then the second commandment in verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God feels strongly about this. 
And now they're turning away. And it's not just they turned away, they turned away quickly. I mean, if it took 400 years to eventually get to that place, but man, it's like next week. It was like Joshua died, that generation died, and boom, they're off on their way. Do what you want. And they began to follow their own wisdom. And then, in verse 18, and when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with that judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of that judge, for it repented the Lord, uh, or the Lord had pity upon them because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and troubled them or vexed them. God raises up a judge, and God was with these judges. You'll find these judges were not extraordinary people. They were not supernaturally gifted, like, oh, you just look, oh yeah, that guy. These were ordinary, plain, Joe Schmo kind of guys. And God then empowered them to do the things that they were empowered to do, so that God would be glorified, that the man wouldn't be glorified and, and nothing else would happen. And, and you see it. And in fact, even as God raises up a judge at times, he even gives them inferior weapons. I mean, one guy gets a jawbone. He goes, okay, go out there and fight the Philistines, and hands them a jawbone. A donkey jawbone. Yeah, with a laser sight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, and he goes out and he kills 600 guys with it. That's got to be God. I mean, <laughs> here, take this feather duster and go for it. Like, really? <laughs> See, God does it that way so that God would be glorified. God empowered these ordinary people. God's commandments are his empowerments. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes, For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his sight. When all these judges got done with their battles and stuff, they didn't go, yeah, man, tactician of the year. Man, I had a plan, my intellect, my military skill. Nah, they're a bunch of knuckleheads that God just picked out of the blue and goes, okay, you. And he was glorified in that. God would use these judges to deliver the people because he was moved to pity for them because of their groanings. Then we get to verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them, to bow down unto them. And they ceased not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Again, we see the continuation of that cycle. When the judge died, uh, the people returned in a bad way. They turned back to their sinful ways. And what a sad commentary. They, they didn't have enough character. I pray that, that if everybody around me died, and I'm the only person left on the planet, that I would still walk in God's ways and love him. I pray that if I got pulled out of my church family and my environment and stuck somewhere else on the other side of the planet, that God would help me to walk in his ways and to honor him. You know, they turned back. And this is so much like what Solomon describes in Proverbs 26:11. He says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Isn't that true? I mean, you ever found yourself in that place? You started doing maybe like the old things, things from before you were saved, and you just, in the middle of it, you realize, ah, oh, man, I'm wallowing in my own mire. I'm just back to the same crummy thing. And that's what it's like when we go back. God doesn't want us to. They corrupted themselves. The word corrupted there in Hebrew is shakaf, and it means to pervert or to cause to ruin, to destroy, to mar. I was parked over at Susanville Market one day, and I'd had my new truck well, for a little while. I came out of the market, and my bumpers all caved in, and the back panels kind of smashed in. And I'm looking at that, kind of going, man, and I'm corrupted. 
my vehicle is a nice, clean vehicle, no dents. But you know how it is when you get a new vehicle or a new something, and you get your first ding or your first scratch, and first of many usually. <laughs> After you get the first one behind you, it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> destruction derby. But that's what it's like. You take something that's good, and when it's corrupted, it's brought to a state of not good. It's brought to a place of being spoiled. And the process, it takes something that's good through the process of decay and destruction and makes it worse to the point where it's finally ruined. In the last part of verse 19, they cease not from doing their own doings and from their own stubborn ways. In other words, they were invoking the wisdom of man. They were doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. And that's the last verse in this book, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There's a modern equivalent to that. And it says, if it feels good, do it. Anybody heard that before? Yeah, a lot of people have. That's evil counsel. It's not if it feels good, do it. It's if the Bible says do it, do it. If it's good, do it. And it's only going to be good if the Bible says. So we've got to change our perspective. But they wanted to do their own thing. And then in verse 20 again, we see, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Again, that's a bad place to be, to provoke God to anger. And it says, and he was hot against Israel, and he said, because this people has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice. In other words, they're violating all the agreements. They're, they're going against my word. They're going against what their fathers did, and they're doing it intentionally. You know, it didn't say that they sinned and fell short. It says that they transgressed, and transgression is more than just a regular sin. Sin is sin is sin, right? But a sin is missing the mark. A sin is falling short. A sin is doing something you didn't really mean to do, and it just kind of happened that way or whatever, and we all get caught up in that. But to transgress means to do it intentionally, knowingly, to say, you know what, I know what you want me to do. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make it my own way. And here the nation of Israel said, you know, I know God's ways. I know what he wants me to do, but I'm going to go with my plan. And so they transgressed against God. And then in verse 21, we see the repercussions. I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. Basically, God withdraws his support. He goes, hey. I'm not going to finance this thing. I'm not going to support this. I'm not going to go along with this. If you're going to go contrary to my word, you're on your own. So he's not going to drive out their enemies. And again, that's going to put them in a pretty big bind. And then finally, the last couple of verses, that through them I may prove Israel, test them, see what they're made of, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, Neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. And so God would leave these pagan nations to remain where they were, that he might use them. They're now going to be God's instrument in chastening and testing and proving the nation of Israel. Turn with me, please, to Psalm 106, 106 verse 40. This is a, an interesting commentary by the psalmist on this particular part of Scripture. This part of Psalm 106 is really a commentary, I think, on the whole book of Judges, but it certainly applies to the passage we're looking at this morning. Psalm 106, look at verse 40. It says, Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. Remember, the children of Israel were his inheritance. And to abhor something is to look upon it with disgust. Okay, To just like, I don't want that. And so he looks upon them, he abhorred his own inheritance, verse 41, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. 
Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen, and give thanks unto thy holy name, and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise ye the Lord. But the psalmist lays it out. It's God's mercy that they're still there. It's God's kindness to them, and because God's going to keep his word. He's going to preserve a remnant, and he's going to be glorified in this process. And so I'll just send it like the psalmist did. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Gracious Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Father, that as much as it's painful to go through some of this account and to see the things that are taking place, it's painful as well, Lord, to relate that in some ways, Father, I know this could be my life, my ups and downs, my spirituality and my lack of it, Lord. And I pray that you'd be gracious to me, a sinner. I pray that you'd be gracious and merciful and forgiving to all of us, Lord, because we're all sinners. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to learn these lessons. We ask, Father, you would help us to walk in your ways and to please you. Guide us, Lord, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, teaching the conclusion of a three-part in-depth study of Judges, Chapter 2. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of Judges and through the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you are blessed and we'd like to invite you to join us in person. Calvary Chapel meets at 450 Richmond Road on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30. Our Wednesday evening service begins at 7 and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, please call the church office at 530-257-4833. And if you've made a profession of faith and would like more information on what it is to walk with Jesus or want to know how to grow in your faith, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. All our services are streamed live on the web at www.ccsusanville.com. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you. you may-